Hello and welcome to the Collective Wisdom Podcast, the podcast that explores how to be a wiser version of yourself. This is a podcast that helps you to tap into your own inner wisdom and find the answers within you for how to live your best life. I'm your host, Kat Preston. I'm a certified life coach and I help people to turn down the noise in their heads and tune into the wisdom in their hearts. Every week I'll be asking my guests to tell their stories about what they've learned along the way and share some of their wisdom with us. I'm so thrilled you can join us. This episode of the Collective Wisdom Podcast is brought to you by Face Equality International. The vision of Face Equality International is that all societies across the world accept, respect and value people who have facial differences so that they can then lead the lives they wish unaffected by prejudice, low expectations and stigma. Facial disfigurement is a globally neglected human rights issue and vital reform is needed to ensure individuals are protected from abuse, discrimination and exclusion. As the sole international network devoted to improving the life chances of people with disfigurements, Face Equality International are the only alliance of its kind. Founded in 2018 by Dr. James Partridge OBE, FEI now has 35 members across the globe, from Nepal to Nicaragua to the USA and South Africa. Together, they collectively drive forward the global movement for face equality. Each year in May, as an alliance of global NGOs and charities working with people who have facial differences, they come together for International Face Equality Week, a global annual campaign to highlight the issues facing people with facial differences and to advocate for a better, fairer world for people who look different. This week, from May the 17th to the 24th, the facial difference community will come together to run a series of activities focused on education and awareness. We all have the power to be educators and we all have the power to make face equality a reality. For more information about how you can support this important campaign, you can visit Face Equality International's website at www.faceequalityinternational.org. Thank you so much to Phyllida Swift, the Chief Exec, and her team at Face Equality International for the important work you're doing to create a better, fairer world for people who look different. Hello, my friends, and welcome to episode two of what's shaping up to be a season of collective wisdom about finding courage in the face of adversity. And my guest this week is no stranger to that idea. Phyllida Swift is now the chief exec of Face Equality International, a role she stepped into after the untimely death of her predecessor and founder of the organization, Dr. James Partridge. James very sadly died in August last year, and Philida has asked that this episode pay tribute to the incredible man that he was and to his life-changing work as the pioneer behind the facial equality movement. James founded the charity Changing Faces after he suffered severe burns to his face as a teenager and went on to set up Face Equality International back in 2018 to unite organisations fighting for facial equality globally as he understood the power of the collective to really have an impact. As Philida herself explains, he worked tirelessly right up until his death helping people with facial differences to deal with the daily challenges they encounter and to change the attitudes and prejudices of the world towards them. Our sincere condolences go to his wife, Carrie, his children and grandchildren, and the many, many people who, like Philida, were so sorry to have to say goodbye to such a caring and compassionate friend. 
This week is Facial Equality Week and there couldn't be a more fitting time to honour James and the legacy that was his life's work. My guest today is Phyllida Swift. Phyllida's story is one of real courage in the face of adversity. At the age of 22, whilst volunteering in Ghana, Phyllida was involved in a terrible traffic accident that left her badly injured, including severe injuries to her face. It was an event that must have taken so much resilience and perseverance to overcome. But what's even more remarkable is the way Phyllida has taken her misfortune and used it to propel her into a new life where she's changing the narrative about disfigurement and facial difference. She's recently taken on a new role as the CEO of Face Equality International, where she's leading a mission to create a world where everyone is treated fairly, whatever their face looks like. I first heard Phyllida's brave and moving story at an event organized by HubDot, and I was so touched when she said that through her accident, the the fleeting nature of life was put into clear perspective And she's come to realize that she has so much more to give the world than the way she looks. Turning adversity into such a positive and becoming a role model for people affected by facial difference and disfigurement has clearly given Phyllida a new sense of purpose. And there's no question that she's empowering people and helping them to raise their self-esteem, as well as fighting to change attitudes and misconceptions about physical differences. She's someone who clearly lives by her own mantra of work hard, play hard, and be kind. And it's such a privilege that she's taken the time to be with me today. So thanks ever so much for joining me today, Philida. Just tell me a little bit more about this this new role of yours at Face Equality International. Yeah, and just to to kind of open that off, I must I must admit that that mantra of work hard, play hard, be kind, it was actually the it was something that our founder, the founder of Face Quality International, lived by. So they, sadly, he passed away last year, um, and I I was in an, in another interview, and they said, okay, if you had one philosophy, one quote to live life by, I kind of was stumped and I didn't know what to say. So I said, oh well, actually. There is one that, you know, came from a great friend and mentor of mine. Um, and I guess, you know, it just got slightly um, misconstrued and taken as my own. So I must just enforce the fact that it's definitely not my own, but I absolutely firmly believe in it. So, yes, that was something said by um, Dr. James Partridge, OBE, who was an incredible man. And he was the founder of both Face Equality International and Changing Faces UK. Um, So he was a burn survivor himself. And similarly to me, he was in a car accident when he was 18 years old and came out with significant burns to his face and body. And he set out on the journey basically to recognize that people with appearance affecting conditions needed very specific psychosocial support to be able to go into social situations where largely the onus is on that individual to take charge and to counteract the stigma, the awkwardness, the the bias that people have around facial differences. But also he recognized that society and societal attitudes needed to be shifted towards disfigurement as well to make someone's life easier, to make them, you know, to enable them to thrive and live a fulfilling life because no matter where someone is in the world, 
some if you're living with a facial difference you are largely subject to low expectations when it comes to school overlooked for jobs in the workplace you know left to jobs that are in the back office told that your face doesn't fit or whether you are subject to abuse online or in the street um, whether it's hate crime or prejudice at large the experiences are largely the same no matter where you are in the world they might be slightly culturally nuanced but largely the landscape is shaped by a really negative public perception that is perpetuated by the media landscape and the fact that we live in a society that is so susceptible to that look perfect culture that we see online that we see in magazines that we see everywhere so we're really about challenging that and and that's yeah, which is why what you're doing is such important work and powerful work. I mean, I think being thrown into something like this, um, and 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 the people that you're representing quite often were maybe born, you know, with facial disfigurement. That uh, you know, I think suddenly finding yourself in that situation is something that that can really bring it home to you how much it's just not fair. It's just not. This is not how it should be. Yeah, yeah. And you, you said it exactly there. So whether it's a condition that someone might have been born with or like mine where it's acquired throughout life. And it's important to state there the use of the term disfigurement. I know that it's not always that widely accepted. It's quite clunky. It's quite medical, but it is what's enshrined in the Equality Act. So mm-hmm. it gives people that legal protection that we are desperately trying to help people to assert and trying to make sure that is you know, lived out. I would say that visible difference and facial difference are largely a bit kind of safer to enter into a conversation with, but in the same way that we've come a huge way in recognizing that people can self-identify their gender identity. I think if if there was one takeaway from this call that people could take forward into their day-to-day lives, it's to enable someone with a facial difference to self-identify in that same way. Yeah, absolutely. But it's it's really important not to shy away from using disfigurement because it is what gives people legal protection and not using the words that gives people protection is actually essentially denying people their rights. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But at the same time, acknowledging that that is part of you and to have to sort of almost carry it around like, a, oh, I, I am my flaw rather than it just being part of who you are. And, well, and acknowledging is... that we're all very different. We all have flaws. Some of them are visible, some of them are less visible. But but really, it's about saying, yeah, understanding that th- this is why the language thing is so important, I think, to, to understand what, almost to say, what makes, what, 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 what is most comfortable for you? How do you want that to be described? But not to be the only defining feature. It's not who you are. Yes, but recognizing also that this is where I take a lot from, you know, the disability rights movement, where again, there are a lot of parallels because largely I think living with a facial difference is a lot like the social model of disability. So for anyone who doesn't, isn't familiar with that, it's about saying that we are more disabled by society's perceptions, by the barriers that are put in place by a lack of expectations by the barriers of, of people's attitudes mm. than we are by physical barriers, um, which is so much more aligned. And, and there is a massive movement towards saying 
there is you know disability disfigurement is not a bad thing yes the dis the you know that element of the word has negative connotations but actually this is me this is this is who i am and actually it's it's the perception that is negative it's not it's not that embodiment that identity itself um and i i i firmly believe that in order to grow, in order to truly make a difference with this movement, it's about commanding respect over pity or over vulnerability. Um, because this is this is my universe, this is my this is my life, and it's no less valuable simply because society perceives me to be potentially flawed. <laughs> or yeah, and it's know, that freedom from from judgment and prejudice which is what you're you're up against you know whether it is about i mean in, in your case it's about facial difference but that's the same whether you're talking about gender equality racial equality you know it's it's not being judged by something that's an outward appearance it's about judging the the and do we even need to judge but but really talking to the person behind yeah. the, the, yeah. the facial disfigurement which is I think that is probably for me the most important part of your message. That's what resonates so massively. I think because of the way you were put into that situation so suddenly, it was probably even harder because you wake up one day, you know, you were a 22 year old and then the next day you're a 22 year old with, with a, a, a huge disfigurement, you know, and, and having to heal physically, but also then to, suddenly as you mentioned the word pity and that's that's to suddenly find yourself as a real victim of people's judgment and prejudice mm. is is what struck me yeah yeah and that you know that isn't a linear journey that isn't to say that one day I woke up and I didn't have that or one day I woke up and all of a sudden I felt confident or felt like myself again because you're completely right our entire so much of our identity is tied up in the way that we look um, and the way that we express ourselves and I then no longer felt like myself because I didn't look like myself and I you know particularly as a woman this stuff is very you know I do feel like as a woman our looks are that bit more prized or that bit more tied up in our worth or the perception of our worth. And yeah, I was very young, I was 22. And at that point I was in between my second and third year of uni and going out and getting dressed up and just doing all of the things that your average 22 year old did. And then I came back to my third year and I had a fringe cut in and I didn't want to wear bright clothes anymore because I didn't want to attract attention to myself. And I'd had that kind of temporary identity crisis yeah um, because yeah I, I didn't feel like myself anymore and putting makeup on or looking in the mirror was really difficult for a period of time because I couldn't focus on anything else other than this thing that was on my face which we all know because of society's perception and the way that the media portrays scars and facial differences it's largely associated with something ugly something that's the mark of a villain the mark of a vulnerable person something very medical yeah just the mark of something ugly and uh, I hated the fact that I was 
now associated with that but what I hated the most was the idea that someone might pity me and that was what got me out of it was the spite and the stubbornness and the fact that I did not want someone to pity me Mm. that was was Mm. the key thing that that really helped me to and I think that must be so true of of anybody in your situation you know we we don't crave pity we don't want to be a victim because that keeps us you know it, it it reinforces that lack of agency and what you were describing of you know it affects your self-esteem obviously but it's really about how other people reflect it back to you and that therefore you you do hide and you know and and that's I think what you the work you're doing especially you know around the coaching that you do with people with body around body consciousness and body image is so empowering because it's that it's that self-esteem point helping them to to really um, dig into that that idea that this is about them and not it, but we need to change society at large yeah, yeah that's the thing world. yeah we, we right now we have to meet people where they're at and we have to recognize that people aren't a monolith not everybody's experience is the same and you can't assume that everybody is at that point in their journey where they're ready to you know go out there and be an activist and say mm-hmm. You know, you're the problem, not me, because it's it's a it's a massive, massive undertaking, and we can't deny the fact that we do currently live in a society where living with a facial difference is really hard. But it both both missions need to work in tandem. Like we need to recognise that people need adequate psychosocial support that recognises the unique perspective of living with a facial difference at the same time as working to educate the general public and working to ensure that policy gives people adequate protection and making sure that schools can create inclusive learning environments or that businesses understand how to recruit inclusively and Mm. ensure that workplace bullying doesn't happen it all needs to kind of move in the right direction at the same time, which is why Face Equality International was set up because it is a membership organization. So we're the umbrella that bolsters and capacity builds all of the NGOs and support groups that work with different communities with facial differences all over the world. And we just really help them to have a stake in the global movement for face equality. Yeah, so I was really interested actually in what what's what's the sort of the day-to-day work, what kind of campaigns are you organizing? I mean, it's a really exciting role that you've stepped into, CEO and at a at a yeah, really it's, it's, impactful time. It's fascinating but terrifying. I mean, so where I used to work very closely with James, the founder, on the communication side of things, my my bread and butter and the things that really, really drive me are, are the campaigns that are about, you know, working closely with the media. So last year we published an open letter in response to a casting call that was made for um, a new Amazon Prime Lord of the Rings series, which is being produced in New Zealand. And they put out a call for people with missing noses, missing eyes, bulbous noses, scarring. Oh my. God. Like a really offensive casting, like funky looking people in inverted comments. So it was, you know, the plain language of it in itself was 
offensive, but it was also the indication that people, real life people with facial differences were being asked to play the roles of what we would assume would have been orcs and like non-human, effectively monster-like characters. Like say, reinforcing um, all those stigmas and yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so historically, people with facial differences have been hum- like dehumanized enough, let alone for us, you know, in 2021 to be playing out that narrative and causing viewers to conflate human and non-human. And we know from research that when, you know, <laughs> The counter argument to this is, oh, of course, people can make the distinction between real life and make believe, or of course, people can make the distinction. But we we can't. What we see on screen, what we see in the media, what we consume does like it does influence the way that we perceive other human beings in the same way that it does race in the same way that it does. Absolutely. All other human beings and for some reason, it hasn't yet been recognized the real life impact of when we see every other villain on the screen, every Bond villain, you know, Scar in The Lion King, when we see all of these characters who have facial differences playing these characters that are morally deficient and villainous. And it just, you know, it shapes young minds as well in a really, really negative way but it hasn't yet really been recognised. I mean, there was the Witches film that came out last Halloween, which where Anne Hathaway then had to, you know, issue a public apology because she had massively, well, not just her, but the, the Warner Brothers and the makers had massively offended the disability and facial difference community mm. in implying that if you have a limb difference, if you have hair loss, if you have scars, then you are effectively a witch. So, yeah, or, or less than generally, just just less than, personal. less than exactly. Less, and that is like, yeah, less than is a, is a key thing here. It doesn't matter whether it's a you know, largely whenever we see someone with a facial disfigurement on our screens, it's either as an object of pity or it's inspiration porn. It's but it's still other. It's still mm. not normalized. It's mm. still not leveling the playing field and it's still not giving someone that respect and that human respect that we should all be entitled to this this I mean it's become about equality and and I was really interested in in whether when you look back do you see yourself as someone who at the age of 22 you know you've really found your voice you really are so articulate and eloquent and and you're you're yeah you're changing lives through the work you're doing but do you think that was inside of you at the time is that something that's you know you've had to build up to do you know what probably not I mean it's it's like I was never someone that saw myself in this position it's all just kind of snowballed I mean even me ending up as the chief exec I have to pinch myself constantly (laughs) I wake up almost in cold sweats like in the middle of the night like oh god like what have I done (laughs) But at the same time, it's it's kind of it is now what drives me. And there must there must have been a desire in me. I mean, I was always kind of interested in philosophy and ethics and right from wrong. And there was definitely something in me that had a strong sense of like a moral compass. Mm. And 
I do feel like this has this has become the making of me um almost because yeah, certainly one, one thing that struck me is when I when I think of you and I see you the word integrity just is you know that's just there and and that was why I was wondering whether you stepped into that integrity or whether it was always just there but that's almost part of the message is that beneath all the layers all the outward appearance that which which, which we are so bad at that's what we measure everyone by mm. you know, what you're looking for is those real core values of resilience and courage and wisdom and integrity and that's what I see when I when I kind of engage with you yeah I mean that's so that's so kind of you to say and I'm the worst person at accepting compliments like I'm the biggest self-deprecator but I do think that that's also kind of part of part of relating to people and part of being vulnerable and part of recognizing that we all are just utterly like human about these things but I don't know wisdom to me is also kind of just a mark of like trauma and I've had a lot of trauma in my life it's not just to say that this was the only thing um like mm. when I was 15 my elder brother he was two years older than me he died in a car accident himself oh so from even as a teenager I had that again that life altering just world crashing down trauma and grief and again it's only it's only in looking back upon those moments that it becomes wisdom yeah and yeah, I mean, you can't be wise the moment but a tangible lesson that you can pass on and you wouldn't force it upon anyone but it is the the thing that ultimately can shape your life in a way that makes you take these moments and learn from them and say look life is life is shit <laughs> life can yeah, be really and what you were saying you know I think it was in the TED you know you did this brilliant TED talk which I'd recommend anyone anyone who's interested in your story goes and watches it's so brave but you you mentioned the sort of the nature of how fleeting life is you you realize that things can change in a moment, especially with things like car crashes. And, you know, you, we all assume that life will just carry on. And you're somebody who's almost taken that and just intuitively are acting on it. It's like make everything of your, of the life you have while you have it, because there's no guarantee. Yeah. And that's not to say that it doesn't take its toll. Like I know that actually sometimes that's not necessarily the healthiest coping coping mechanism. Like I do take things and I'm like, okay, cool. How do I, you know, I, I just go into action stations and I just go into like, okay, how can I turn this into a positive? I mean, I, I rang up changing faces like a month after I had my accident and I was like, cool, what can I do? How can I get involved? And they were like, I think you need to take some time. Um, but, and I know that actually that's not a healthy coping, coping mechanism now. Like looking back, I know that I have that in me and it, and it has a detrimental impact on me further down the line because things start seeping out and I start getting burnt out and I start getting overtired and I start 
becoming disengaged and I become covered in eczema and I get stressed and it kind of manifests physically but mentally I'm almost I'm always like okay cool how, what do I do next like how do I turn this into a positive thing and I think the older I get the more I recognize that and the more I just try to actually deal with things and actually like lean into the the process of grieving or the process of feeling things rather than moving things down from your head into your heart and just and it's painful you know processing those feelings that's you know there's every reason why we avoid it but 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 I think through your coaching work you're almost helping people to do that you're saying don't rush it you know meet things where they are take your time slow down that's that's part of what that process must be to work with people yeah yeah exactly and all of it is so so personal as well and no no two experiences are the same and what might seem from my perspective on paper as someone who's got it together or someone who's dealing with it or someone that's harnessing it in a positive way you know that doesn't actually mean that it's actually healthy (laughs) and it shouldn't necessarily be something that should be looked up to because yeah it 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 needs to be a it needs to be a very personal process and Mm. and I only retrospectively understand that I've still got a lot of processing to do um and that comes out when you know like yeah like I said when it gets to the end of the week and I'm just like exhausted and and even just the sense of I mean I guess that loss never goes away there was 22 year old Philida before the accident and she's still there inside you you know it's there must still be a process that you have to go through of yeah she's not there in a way because I've evolved into who I am now but yeah 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 and that the, the the whole grief narrative is definitely you know I think in terms of someone who has sustained a facial difference there is an element of grief there and that can be both a really empowering narrative but also it can play into some of the the tropes and the stereotypes that have kind of been detrimental to this community I mean largely we don't want to so for instance if you are a parent and you find out that you're going to um, give birth to a child who has a facial difference there are lots of articles out there that will recognize that that is a a, almost a sense of loss Mm. or you know I've you know I've had conversations with I yeah it's just but then part of our work as an organization is about helping people to recognize that it's not a loss yeah that it can be a positive thing and actually yes public perception right now where we're at might make you feel as though that child or your you know your friend or yourself might not be able to live life to its fullest but actually you're being sold almost a lie there. Yeah. Uh, and, and what you're that. doing is swimming against the cultural tide, which is exhausting and 
making those shifts, it's slow, but you have to, yeah, you, you, you just try and keep it moving in that direction, but it's, it's hard work to, to upend those tropes. Yeah. Yeah. We're on, we're unpacking, you know, it's even to this day, we're, we're still seeing kind of tired old narratives on our screens that are being almost glorified. I mean, the greatest showman is probably a, a kind of cultural reference that lots of people will understand from recent years where it's like this amazing like kind of Hollywood film and there's all of this great music and songs about loving yourself but actually it's still digging up an old story about what was essentially a freak show or you know Phantom of the Opera or The Hunchback of Notre Dame and it's like we, we are still very much influenced by some of these narratives about what might have been okay or what might have been the state of play in the past but doesn't need to be now no 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 and it's it's ultimately yeah it's about if we can move away from prejudice and judgment the whole judging a book by its cover all of that which is is yeah it's it's hard to do it's hard to do but that's why I was so drawn to the work that you're doing because it's you know it's building those communities finding that collective voice is so powerful as a way to do that yeah yeah and we don't all have the same we don't all have the same views you know where I am a kind of staunch kind of advocate for using the term disfigurement that is not necessarily the case wherever you are in the world Mm. you know in the states they largely use the term deformity which is a massive no-no here so it's about you know I I fully recognize that it is not just my responsibility but it is the responsibility of all of us who are a part of this movement to find that as you say collective voice and say okay we might not agree on like all of the nuances of the language but we all believe in the same thing we're yeah. all working yeah. the same thing we all want people to be able to live a life free from prejudice and to be respected and to have equal opportunity um how do we get there together because we we need an army yeah and to um, feel a little bit more like you belong and you're you know there's some understanding there you're not dealing with this totally in isolation which is so so hard otherwise yeah I know it was um it was stories that brought us together I mean you you stood up on stage very bravely hub dot that's what it's all about you have two minutes to tell your story it was so compelling you have this this sort of yeah it's pure integrity it just comes through as just this passion for what you're doing and when I read that yeah the, the mantra about work hard play hard be kind I knew that you'd have a great story around kindness so so for you, what's an act of simple kindness that's impacted you? I would say it, it's not necessarily, it, it, yeah, it's not necessarily that simple because it's had a profound impact, but HubDot being an example of it, there's been quite a lot of people that have really taken a chance on me in my life, in like particularly in my career, um, where I haven't necessarily had the CV or the skills or everything that, should be on paper you know I've got a degree in model making which is essentially 3D design Um, and used to take the mic and say that it was like a degree in (laughs) play-doh and yet here I am four years later as the CEO of a global charity so and you know with HubDot up until I took on this role I was working with HubDot to help them plan their events and run their Mm -hmm. communications and do their social media and 
Simona, the founder of HubDot, again, she, you know, I was at that event and I shared my story and then I got sat around the kitchen table with her and she again saw something in me and took a chance and said, okay, come and work for us. And in the same way that when I was interviewed at Changing Faces, I had, there was clearly a passion and a drive there, but the skills, the, you know, the campaigns and the communications definitely weren't there. I had to learn all of that on the job and the same goes for now. But I think that passion and drive, if you can, you know, it's, it's difficult to find it. And if you can bottle it, then the skills will follow on, you know, that it's, it's that that's what comes across. That's what comes across when you told your story. And I guess, yeah, Simona is somebody who sees right through into the the heart of somebody she's that's her superpower that's a really really beautiful story just being being seen and especially at a point where you were probably feeling most vulnerable when you were starting to put yourself out there and having to to really um not be defined by by your facial difference you know but still that is your story you know it's um yeah, I, I, yeah, I'm, I, I wholeheartedly say that I am defined by it because I, do, I, I, it's, it's defined by it in a positive way. Yeah, yeah, turning it around and saying, right, this is, this is who I am with it, and, and Simona, as I say, it's, it's that moment where somebody sees you, and probably has slightly more faith in you than you have in yourself. A hundred percent. Yeah. That's oh yeah, I mean, I've, I, you know, I've chronic imposter syndrome over here, and it, and the thing is, because actually, quite a lot of it is legitimate. Like, I don't have a marketing degree. I don't know how the hell to fundraise. It's just not an area that I have had to deal with in the past. Mm. But I do know that, and HubDot has really, really, you know, kind of ingrained this into me: is that you don't need to do it always yourself. Like, there is so many like. The strength is in the community. The strength is in actually reaching out and saying to people, I need your help and can you help? And do you have this bit of expertise? And going to someone and saying, do you know someone who happens to know this? And of course, like HubDot is all about that. It's about saying, okay, well, you might not need to take all of that on yourself, but 100% there is someone out there that's perfect for the job. And that's definitely something that HubDot has really, really yeah instilled into me is that you don't have to do it all on your own no and there's that beautiful thing that I'm sure will come for you now as CEO that you'll be able to pay that forward there'll be people walk into your life who want to to take on a role within the charity and you'll be able to empower them give them that 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 lucky break that first start you know just by showing up good things can happen in this, yeah, and this this is where we, as a you know, as a fairly new organisation, we really, really do have that ability to take the lead in terms of ensuring that we're centering the real life experiences of people who have facial differences, and we're not kind of, you know, even just in terms of the way that we operate we can ensure that from the off that you know diversity equity and inclusion are embedded into our philosophy as a as an organization yeah Yeah. so so moving on to the story about a challenge i was intrigued by this partly because obviously there's the obvious challenge of what happens when you have a a really life-changing um circumstance like your accident but I'm kind of more intrigued as to where you go to with your challenges now 
and what story you're going to bring because it's you know that that feels like a sort of a huge challenge but within it there must have been lots of smaller challenges that made up the kind of difficulty of of finding that new identity yeah there's the, i mean and it's it's definitely not like a, a as i said it's a constant roller coaster and there will always be challenges and the challenge for me is when you think that something's going to land well and that someone's going to understand it or that a campaign is going to hit and people are going to get involved and then you get that combative kind of response um or you get the oh this is just the snowflake generation or oh you're just mm. being overly politically correct or this isn't a big enough problem for us to take into consideration so for instance the lord of the rings open letter i mean that was that after some time it took about six months for that really to have any measurable success and that success was in that jacinda ardern's team we we reached out to the new zealand pm because the production was being made in new zealand and yeah. you know she's obviously well known for being just, pretty right on she's really cool yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all the cool wrapped up into one woman how did she manage that <laughs> yeah so we reached out to her team and we were like look this is happening in new zealand and finally we got a response to say that they'd they'd kind of registered our concerns and they'd reached out to the production and to the New Zealand Film Commission and they were aware of our concerns and they oh. would take it into consideration. So that was amazing. But actually, when we first launched it, it was just, it didn't get the traction and the traction that it did get was misdirected and people were saying, oh, well, it's this isn't really a big enough problem for us to be concerned with or it's just creative license. Why are you trying to tear down, you know, the institution that is Lord of the Rings? Yeah. And yeah. the challenge for me there is one that I've been, you know, leading on this campaign. And this is something that I've been working hard and devoting my time to, but also everything that I do now is something that I have this huge emotional attachment to. And when someone doesn't get it, and when I have to explain to people why something that directly affects not just my life negatively, but the lives of so many others and, you know, the damage of this for the generations to come, for the children who are then having to go into school and be told that they look like an orc or told that they're Freddy Krueger or told that they are a villain. When, when that is kind of denied and when people don't believe it, that that is a massive challenge for me and something that, I know will have to be something that I have to kind of navigate mm. forever. <laughs> well, it comes from your heart. You're, yeah, I think we'll, you know, to say never is a, that's a big word, but, but I think you're, you're going against, yeah, the cultural sort of, even the storytelling, you know, there's baddies and goodies. And I think we're, we're, we're starting to come to a point where, we really, we really understand that everybody comes at things from a different perspective, that even this notion of good and bad is, is you know, where does that come from in the first yeah. place? It's yeah. not helpful. Yeah. It's but, not helpful. And we're not trying to limit the opportunities that someone with a facial difference has. Like we're not trying to say we never want to see 
a character who's got anything bad about them with a scar or with a facial difference because that just wouldn't be about normalizing and we would never want to inhibit opportunities we want people to play every possible role that there is we want them to be neutral we want them to be holistic we want people to be playing yeah we want we want equal opportunity but at the moment it's this the fact that nine times out of ten whenever you see someone with a facial difference on our screens or in the media or in a magazine it's largely playing into those tropes that do have that detrimental impact upon someone's life yeah and it's coming right from your heart you know when it's it's there and it's so painful no, absolutely. And I was really interested as well. I mean, you described the roller coaster, and it, there's no question it must be, you know, the, the good days, the bad days, and they kind of all blend into one. But you can never get to a point where you just say, I'm over this now, I'm done with it, you know, much like grief. So, wh- where do you go to for those days that you just are feeling low at a low ebb? Do you have a way of overcoming that challenge? Yeah, I mean, this This is definitely something that I have learned and grasped and fully understood later on in life is that those down days are something that I just have to kind of almost surrender to. And I think they're entirely necessary. And I think recognising that my emotions and my my energy levels and the way that I feel are all completely okay. And that if I'm having a day where I just cannot be asked and I want to watch <laughs> trash TV and I want to eat like knickknacks from the corner shop and I just want to just do all of the things that I know that probably aren't that healthy in, you know, in inverted commas, but actually I know that are entirely necessary. Yeah. Um, you know, that is, that is my self-care is like trash TV and snacks. Absolutely. And I know that that is entirely necessary now. Like I know that I have to just surrender to the fact that there will be down days and there will be days where I feel self-conscious or there will be days where I can't be bothered looking at my phone or I just need to yeah. come off of social media or do that and, and I just have to say this is this is that day um and I need to even not- the CEO of a global charity needs to have days where you just yeah sit yeah if not more if not more like we're we're not as a human being we're not really designed to cope with that I mean, this is this is me saying that I've been downtrodden over years and years of doing it. This is this is not just me saying since I've been within this role. This is this is in the past, however many years. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And 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 just to say that you you kind of there'll be there'll be days where what life throws at you is something you can meet and there'll be days where you just want to be knocked over by it for a while before you decide and this is me coming to it from quite a privileged position where I can do that you know I don't have anybody that relies upon me right now all of the time you know I don't have children that need me to Mm. pick them up and take them to school and do all and be that kind of caregiver and be that you know support giver right now so I, you know whether that is a reality that I am able to indulge in in the future is not necessarily clear but I I just fully recognize that yeah not 
kind of burying away emotions that are actually signposts to things is definitely something that I need to not shy away from especially when it comes to slowing down taking a bit of time to yourself and just yeah letting things process so um so as you know we we always finish on a, a story about a piece of music and I'm sure I'm sure music has played a very powerful part I remember the one of the most moving things you said was your body is a tapestry of your life and for me, music is kind of a bit like that. It feeds into that sort of there's moments in time where you can just be whisked straight back by a piece of music. Yeah. And this is a really difficult question for me because you're completely right. Like music plays such an important part of my life. And it's just such a it's I love listening or rediscovering a song that you haven't listened to for however long. And then it just takes you back to that moment in your life, like a good friendship group of mine all of the girls that I go to the gym with we were reminiscing over the the first Britney album that we all bought when we were kids <laughs> on the first Pink album and uh, like all of the clothes that we were wearing at the time and like the low-rise jeans and the crop tops when we were like nine years old and just yeah. thinking how inappropriate that was so it's really difficult for me to pinpoint like a particular song because my taste is so eclectic and my boyfriend has access to my Spotify and always both loves and hates it because it, he'll be listening to like what he classes as an absolute banger. And then so the Wicked soundtrack will come on or the <laughs> Lion King soundtrack. And here we are. Why did you do that? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I, yeah, I listen to music, but if I could, I'd listen to music all day, every day, apart from when I'm obviously on meetings. Yeah. But when I was, preparing for today and thinking about music I I was actually going through shuffle and Alanis Morissette came on oh and she's you know I've listened to her my whole life I remember being a toddler and listening to her in the car like on repeat with my mum but at the same time now actually understanding what the lyrics are and when I want to feel empowered and when I want to kind of gear myself up I, I listen to Alanis Morissette and probably you water now is 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 an absolute tune so yeah and that kind of for me that embraces your spirit which is just that there's a fighter in you you know you're just relentless and you have this sort of yeah it's compassion it's deep compassion that just drives you forward yeah yeah for sure for sure I think I, I just yeah I find I find purpose in channeling all of my own stuff (laughs) into ultimately creating change and helping other people, I guess. Yeah. And you're doing that so powerfully. I mean, it's just, just amazing work you're doing. So you have shared so much wisdom today about, yeah, what it is to take what life throws at you and not necessarily fall into that pit of being a victim, but to pick yourself up and how, I mean, I think your story, the other thing, when, when we hear stories, we're often left thinking, how would I react? And I must admit, when I was standing listening to you at HubDot, I wasn't sure that I would be able to say with the same courage, you know, it's not been put to the test, obviously, but there, there's just this real, yeah, compassion and courage that comes through. So what would you say if you were going to share a piece of wisdom that you would you would want either for your younger self or to leave as as your legacy in the world 
I would say that the the less you can compare yourself to others and there I mean yes listen to other stories because they can be incredibly empowering but at the same time that comparison is not helpful and every perspective that you have is valid every experience every emotion every different perspective we are not all of the same and that is what makes us human the less you can compare yourself to a different journey a different perspective a different point in your kind of recovery I would just say yeah the less we compare ourselves to others the better and the more fulfilled and the more you'll be able to kind of reach that point where you feel I wouldn't say content but you feel like yourself yeah, <laughs> yeah, that, yeah. that is that is literally that is literally the way to I, I believe you know do life and conquer life and complete it is is to recognize that all you can really do is be true to yourself and comparing yourself is never going to be conducive to feeling fulfilled yeah I, I mean we were talking before we started recording about Brene Brown and her amazing podcast Unlocking Us and my favorite Brene Brown quote is comparison is the thief of joy. And I yeah. think it's, and that's what we've got to be so careful with. I think social media has so many good aspects in, in terms of connecting, you know, building communities. So people mm. find each other, but it's also prone to that, that tendency to just sit and scroll and feel that everybody else is doing so much better than you are. Yeah. yeah yeah and it's not real it's you know it's it's just a snapshot into what people feel like they can reveal and it's yeah you're completely right it particularly for our line of work where if you're from a marginalized community and you've never met anyone that looks like you but actually there's this whole community out there on social media mm. then it's brilliant but even comparing yourself to someone who has a similar experience to you or is an influencer within this space who has the same condition as you, if you're having a crap day, that's not going to help. Yeah. And in the same way that it's not going to help if you're looking at someone who conforms to that ideal of, you know, public perception of beauty or perfection or whatever that is even it's yeah none of it's real and it's not going to help if you're comparing yourself to anyone irrespective of whether they are a positive or a negative role model yeah, um, yeah. and running you your own look, race yeah. yeah yeah you can look to them for guidance and you can look to them for bits of inspiration and and um you know, everything within context though you, you just can't compare it to your own life no no so wise I knew I knew there'd be some beautiful wisdom there and we're we're sort of rounding things off and bringing this whole aspect of kindness if you had a an act of simple kindness that you would ask of my audience what would it be 
well, of course I have to take the official line here, which is about the way that we treat people with facial differences. So what I would just say is, if ever you come across someone online or in the street, treat them with respect the same way that you would treat anyone else. Um, it's not my line, but it's the line of a great activist within this space called Carly Finley, who has a book called Say Hello. You know, it's it's treat people as you would expect yourselves to be treated. Don't go up to someone and say, what happened to you? What's wrong with your face? You know, just yeah. and you know, staring is never okay. I just put yourself in the perspective of that person and just treat people with respect over, over pity or, yeah, yeah. respect. Say hello to the person that's really inside. Absolutely. No, might be the official line, but it's a beautiful line. So thank you. <laughs> so, Philida, thank you so much. I've so enjoyed the conversation. I knew you would have so much wisdom to bring. And thank you for taking the time out. I know you've got a very busy schedule at the moment and the new role is keeping you very busy. But I really appreciate you for spending the time with me today. Thank you so much, Kat. I've really, really enjoyed. And um, yeah, thank you so much for letting me waffle on. And it's been <laughs> we'll keep in touch anyway. Thanks so much. Thank you so much for listening. There are almost a million podcasts out there to choose from. So I really appreciate you for choosing this one and spending your valuable time with me today. If you found it helpful, I would be truly grateful if you would rate and review it as it helps others to find us. And if you haven't already, you can hit the subscribe button wherever you get your podcasts to be sure of getting every episode sent to you. You can find all the resources we talk about and more about my guests in the show notes over at collectivewisdom.podbean.com or you can find me on Instagram at collectivewisdompod where I'd love to hear any feedback, suggestions for new guests or comments that you have. I'd love to hear from you. And if you're interested to know more about how my coaching can help you, you can find more about that on my website at catpreston.com. Thank you so much for joining me.